0: This is the Food About Town podcast. My name is Chris Lindstrom and I'm your host. This week is episode 35 where I talk to Luke Theers, the brand ambassador from Fee Brothers Bitters, located right here in Rochester. Luke was nice enough to come in from Boston and spend some time with me discussing his time here in Rochester, his work with Fee Brothers, the history of Fee Brothers, and we got to talk about Boston as well, one of my favorite cities to travel to on the East Coast. If you enjoy this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It really helps us get some more ears on the podcast and also sharing on social media helps as well. So have a good time listening and thank you. So I'm going to start off and say I'm probably going to cough during this podcast. I'm probably going to sniffle during this podcast, but we're doing it because I've got Luke Theers here. What's going on, Luke?
1: How's it going? I'm really happy to be here.
0: Things things are okay. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. <laughs> things are okay, but I'm excited that you're here. And so Luke is... What, I forget the title. It sounds really grandiose. Like, what's uh, brand your... ambassador. Brand um, ambassador. I was thinking like global something ambassador, which sounded better in my head. But...
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that is a position that exists. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, for certain companies. Uh, Fee Brothers actually has never hired a salesman outside the family. I'm lucky enough to be the first one to get to do that. Uh, and I actually, when Joe approached me with the job, he's like, if you're still interested in working for us, we're going to make you a salesperson. And I said, it would be better for my resume if I used Brand ambassador." He's like, yeah, I don't care what you call yourself. (laughs) That's that's up to you.
0: Yeah, so Luke Thier's Brand Ambassador for Fee Brothers, which, I mean, let's just start off there because Fee Brothers is something I think everybody who is either into cocktails at all has seen, especially in the Rochester area. Uh, Fee Brothers is omnipresent at every bar just about that has any sort of reputation
1: I would, I would certainly hope so yeah and um definitely we're one of the oldest bitters companies in the world <clears throat> and um at this point might be the most widely distributed uh, i mean angostura and Peychauds are, are definitely on everybody's list uh Bitterman's sure. is very popular there's a few others that are that are known internationally but I, I think we might be the the most uh comprehensive as far as areas we cover
0: all right so, so how old is fee brothers and i know there's a great story between you know when they started in Prohibition and everything there,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, the company started in 1864, uh, not as a bitters and cocktail mixers company, but we we were making wine, um, and it was it was always a family run business. And as it became more successful, other fees kind of got got soaked into the business. And uh, during Prohibition, they they had to make some moves. They had to figure something out because uh, they couldn't they couldn't be selling wines and uh, yeah, and it was booze kind of anyway. frowned upon. At yeah, the time. yeah. That's <laughs> not a good business model, but. Yeah. Uh, Um, the, the, there's four generations of, of, uh, of John Fee. The John Fee at that time who was, uh, who was running the company was, was, uh, very smart and had the idea to make uh, non-alcoholic cocktail mixers that you could add to booze that was probably being made at the time that didn't taste quite as good as the stuff being made legitimately and um yeah because
0: everybody kind of hacked everything together at the time right i mean you're talking bathtubs and
1: yeah yeah i mean the the, the, the idea of bathtub gin is, is is a little bit misleading um the to my understanding the origin of that term is um people would dump gin into bathtubs and mix it with other mixers to make it taste good it wasn't actually being made in bathtubs it was being made in stills <clears throat> um, well
0: yeah i mean I, yeah that makes sense yeah
1: but there's you know, uh, just like anything else, there's a lot of science that goes into distillation. So when you're throwing it together at home, it might not come out quite as good as, as the stuff that's being made by by people that are know what they're doing in controlled environments.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I'm actually, I'm going to, so you know a little bit about the distillation process? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to throw it out. Just, I always find it interesting. So people always have the idea that, you know, bad, bad liquor makes you blind. And that's because of... Issues with the distillation process, correct?
1: Sort of, yes. So um, distillation uh, creates two products. Um, It creates ethanol, which is awesome, and it creates (laughs) methanol, which is not so great. Um, Ethanol is is what gets you drunk. That's what's in your booze. Uh, Methanol is another type of alcohol, um, which, uh, and I'm going to get a little unsciencey here, but the the basic idea is that um, when you drink it, it reacts with your body, and your body starts producing formaldehyde. (laughs) And that can leak out your orifices, including your eyes. So that's why people are going blind is because they were getting formaldehyde in their eyes.
0: For people that didn't know how to get the get the bad stuff out during the distillation process,
1: exactly. If you've ever heard uh, a distiller reference the head and the tails, mm-hmm. um, he's talking about the uh, the different parts. The the head and the tails are typically the methanol heavy uh, areas, whereas the heart that's the good stuff. That's the uh, ethanol heavy.
0: Um, yeah, and that that makes sense. I mean, actually, see, I tried something recently. Um, one of my one of my uh, friends who does you know bartending and coffee brewing uh, he brought one that said that advertised that they were using part of the heads and tails
1: yeah well here 's the really funny thing about methanol while it 's very bad for you um, it seems the cure for it is ethanol um, so there's Weird. actually been cases there was a case recently of a guy in Africa who was drinking homemade liquor. He showed up at the hospital and he 's like i can 't see and they went out and they got him a bottle of Johnny Walker black. <laughs> and he he drank a, a healthy portion of it um using that term healthy relatively yeah. and uh his sight came back so that's actually not unheard of so it is okay to drink a little bit of of methanol um you just better hope you're drinking a lot of a lot of good booze with that too huh
0: interesting yeah i'd never heard that yeah. so so fee brothers so so they started making bitters now you talked about a couple of the more famous now when they those are brand names angostura and and Peshods. And yeah. now angostura is a brand name but i mean it's not something that other people make similar things to that
1: yeah well uh, angostura invented bitters um dr okay. angostura invented bitters um he was a venezuelan doctor um, who created them as medicine as you know it, uh, during that time <clears throat> that was most medicines were ethanol based because that's that's how they that's the only way they knew how to do it. It's really great at soaking up herbs, hmm. um, and that's why it was originally created. It was it was mainly meant for your stomach. Um, the English Navy for a while was rationing that with gin and limes, and that's they would cure scurry, scurvy, scurvy, and, and malaria and other it illnesses. Sounds pretty that delicious way. too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> Medicine used to be less effective, but way tastier. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so <coughs> they deserve a lot of credit, Angostura, for for what they did because they, they really they really created it, and it's become. Because they're so synonymous, it's become the sort of thing where, where people used to say, I'm going to make a Xerox, or I'm going to grab a Kleenex, or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You know, it's kind of has become synony- synonymous with bitters. Um, and then Peychaud's is based out of New Orleans, um, and that was, uh, that was created by a Haitian pharmacist who was a refugee who moved to New Orleans, <laughs> opened up a cafe there, and mm. um, started making his bitters, and he would mix it with, uh, with a little bit of uh, brandy and some sugar and rinse that glass of absinthe, and that was the beginnings of the Sazerac. Um, gotcha. Which, there's a strong debate about that, but there's an argument that that's the original cocktail. Um, so Interesting. Between, between those two brands, you have a very large uh, chunk of cocktail history right there. Mm-hmm. And with the Fee Brothers coming into the picture, um, we were basically the, the third ones to to start making bitters nationally, the ones as far as people that are still making them.
0: Interesting. So, so when Fee Brothers started going to the bitters, what was the... What was the initial kickoff into that? It wasn't, I mean, there's so many different varieties nowadays. What was, the, what was the first ones that they were making, like the core products at the time?
1: Oh, well, that would be the aromatic. Um, so uh, Angostura's flavor. That that uh, sort of cinnamony, very aromatic flavor is, is considered aromatic or old fashioned bitters. Um, we label ours as as old fashioned, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of the same thing, aromatic or old fashioned.
0: And that's the cocktail it's used in as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The, actually, it's it's a funny story. The origin of the old fashioned cocktail um, comes from originally a cocktail was a very specific thing. I mentioned the sazerac just now as having sugar water uh, a little bit of bitters and spirit and that used to be what a cocktail was you Mm -hmm. could also get a julep or a sling or a fix um it was different types of drinks we didn't we didn't use it back then we where we do now where we mean mixed drink um so uh, people would go to bars and they'd say hey can i uh can i get one of those cocktails and the bartender would be like oh yeah i'll get you one and i got i got a little special thing i do with it i throw a little uh maraschino in there i throw a little bit of this a little bit of that people get no 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 can I just have an old-fashioned style cocktail? That's actually how we get the term "old-fashioned" from mm. the drink. It was sort of named retroactively.
0: That's interesting. I mean, because yeah, I think, and that's kind of actually similar to what's happened recently in the cocktail scene, where you know, cocktails through the '80s and the '90s got all fruity and you know all mixed up, and they, people weren't making what we call nowadays classic style cocktails or old fashioned style cocktails and they kind of got lost for a while in the eighties and nineties and nobody was making old fashions and, you know, simple drinks. And then the whole martini craze came in.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I'm still not so sure about. I don't know.
1: You know, I I read an interesting thing on that. Um, Tony, (laughs) um, whose name I'm probably, probably butchering there, but he's a, he's a great drink writer and a great bartender. Um, he, uh, he made this argument in one of his books where he's like, it, kind of irks bartenders now to call all mixed drinks martinis but in the late 90s when you were trying to sell people on the idea of craft cocktails what we now call craft cocktails cocktail was too <clears> old-fashioned <throat> and they thought oh that's what my grandpa drinks he drinks cocktails well, right. why, don't you, why don't you try this uh passion fruit pomegranate martini you know so i think uh, at the time it was valid um, sure. Now it's just sort of confusing for bartenders to call drinks that aren't martinis martinis.
0: It's kind of like people in the south that call all soft drinks cokes. No kidding. Thanks. Which I, I've I've actually seen it happen a couple of times. I always thought it was urban legend, and it's just really confusing.
1: Yeah. No. I, I used to bartend in New Orleans, and but just,
0: it, and you've 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 seen it
1: happen. Just having to ask guests like all the Coke. What kind? Ginger ale.
0: <laughs> Ginger ale <and> Coke. Obviously. <laughs>
1: yeah. well, this could have been a shorter conversation. You know?
0: <laughs> I mean, it, that's it's such a weird regional thing, and obviously. And this is it's a great topic, because you know Rochester's right on the dividing line between pop and soda, yes, yeah, so I grew up in Buffalo, and it was definitively pop. nobody from out from in town called it soda,
1: yeah i mean I'm, I'm a pop guy, I yeah. still hold on to that mainly.
0: I think is. I've crossed over, which is it's weird now when I call it pop, it seems odd, yeah, but I mean, it really is such a regional thing,
1: yeah, well, to me, soda again is confusing, If you heard a vodka soda. <laughs> You don't want a vodka and Coca-Cola. No, certainly know? not. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's why I prefer pop over soda. Oh,
0: that does sound terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm sure
1: I've had worse things. <laughs>
0: <coughs> so, so starting off with aromatic style and going through, was, was it immediately successful or is this just something that's sort of built over time? Because it's, like, like I said, now it's one of the widely distributed... You know widely distributed bitters, but was it was it always successful I mean up and downs i don't know how much you know about the history
1: uh yeah um it was uh we filled the niche market for a long time um so during prohibition we're making we're making bitters we're making flavorings uh for cocktails, we would make uh, gin style flavoring you know whiskey style flavoring, and you would add that to your to your grain alcohol basically okay um and we also <laughs> uh, and this is hilarious to me we had a uh, service. Where we would um, we'd come to your house and uh, we would set up a kit and we'd get some yeast in there and we'd get our sugars and we'd get everything kind of uh, sitting there. And we, you know, leave the instructions saying do not leave this in this conditions for sixty days, and then strain these things out because <laughs> that would make alcohol, and that's illegal. Well, no, it's definitely um, not. Yeah, and uh, they actually have at the Feed Brothers factory a list of, of all the people that subscribed to that service during that time during the nineteen twenties. Wow, and it's 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 the chief of police, it's it's the father of this <laughs> priest of this mayor of this, you know, um, it just really kind of speaks to how prohibition sort of made alcohol a thing for the rich because it was only only enforced for the poor right uh, there was actually a statute that if you any alcohol that was owned before Prohibition's grandfather grandfathered in you're allowed to own it so like i, I and, and i'm i'm slacking on my history here but I, uh one of our, our major politicians during the time was famous for buying out an entire state's worth of liquor wow so he didn't run out of liquor during prohibition he was fine oh, yeah. <laughs> you know so people that can't afford Ten thousand liters of whiskey that <laughs> that went dry, you know. Yeah, or drier.
0: I'm sure if I was a little more on top of things, I can make parallels to life today. But I'm going to leave that to the listener. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's
1: a great thing about histories. Yeah, exactly. It sparks the imagination.
0: So, I mean, have, having had these a few times, what's what's the biggest difference between what Fee Brothers does and what everybody else is doing right now in the bitters world
1: that's a good question so there's a few things that set us apart for the rest of the market um in addition to the fact that we've just been around a much longer time um we have one of the largest selections of flavors out there um i don't necessarily want to say the largest but it might be we have 17 flavors of bitters Um, and
0: really diverse stuff as well i mean things you'd never really expect like uh celery cardamom
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The cardamom is one of our newest flavors. I love that one. Um, We just came out with uh, molasses this past year. Um, We'll have something new on the market uh, in the next couple years. We try and do one every year or two. Mm -hmm. Um, So in addition to our our, our variety, we're one of the most affordable bitters on the market, um, which kind of, I think sometimes gives us the uh sort of image as like a well bitters or like a a lower shelf bitters Mm -hmm. um but when you're adding that little of something to your cocktail um i don't know if you really need to spend 40 to 50 dollars on a bottle of it um and the other thing too the main thing is we're glycerin based whereas as most all other bitters really are ethanol based
0: Um, so what what's how does that affect you know the the process how does that affect the end product
1: yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a big difference. The, <clears throat> uh, the main difference is that our bitters um, in the United States are considered alcoholic. Um, in, yeah. in other countries, depending on how they label things, are still considered alcoholic. Uh, but here, they, they are non-alcoholic. Um, and that's obviously a huge difference right there. Um, I remember uh, when I, I had the privilege of opening up the Owl House... Um, we would have a lot of guests who were who were pregnant or didn't drink anymore or anything, and I can make them sodas with the bitters. And I was like, right there is is an advantage. Um, plus, glycerin is is a is a really amazing uh, chemical. It's amazing. I, I kind of got working towards this job and got really interested in glycerin when I was in New York City a few years ago. And I was a, a I'm not going to say the name of the bar because I'm about to kind of talk some smack on it, but <laughs> it was a, it's an amazing bar, and in the, the head bartender slash owner there is is incredibly talented, and I was just really excited to meet this guy and you know i introduced myself and, and he asked what i did and i said you know i, I bought a 10 bar in, in rochester and i actually i work uh i wasn't official of them at the point but I, i'd helped design the black walnut bitters and stuff so i said i kind of work with this company uh mm-hmm. brothers and he he made this face and i thought he didn't know who i was talking about i'm like that's impossible he's got to know who we are this is this is a bitters bar that was that was what they're centered around right and uh he's like those aren't bitters i was like oh well I can argue with you, <laughs> you know. Okay, <laughs> right. and he's like, "I don't actually believe in putting chemicals in my cocktails." And yeah, I, I know a lot more now than I did then. I probably would have continued the conversation, but in my head, I was like,
0: "Isn't ethanol a chemical?" Yeah, you know? and that, that's that's a whole argument. Then it, it's hard because everything, <clears throat> obviously, yeah. If it, you have any science background, everything's a chemical. Yeah, is it a carbon a chemical? It. Like, right. You know?
1: Um But I'm really glad that happened because. Uh, at the time, my my friends kind of lauded me for just sort of taking it and, <laughs> and not fighting back with them. And they're like, "Wow, you you must be really good of guess if you can take that from another bartender." Um, but also, it it led me to like, "Well, what is glycerin? You know, what does it do? Why do some people look down on it? Why are people scared of it?" And it's it really led me on this journey of of learning about this this incredible chemical and and knowing more about our our bitters. And uh, that led me to hosting a seminar at the Rochester Cocktail Revival last year. That was on um, it was on preservatives <coughs> and um, and spoilage and things like that and safe preservation of product. But it was it was sort of centered around glycerin. And we had uh, Chuck uh, Chuck Sarankoski, uh, who's in charge of the RCR, also the owner of Good Luck and Cure, had um, told me he was we're world friends, and he was like, you know, you're ha- welcome to the seminar. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you need to prepare, be prepared for like five people or less showing up. And I was like, great. You know, that's less intimidating. And if I get to talk to five people about glycerin, then awesome. I had a good afternoon. We had about 35 people show up. Wow. Um, I mean, literally. It's,
0: and it, it's, it's a topic that unless you're really into things and I think that's a good sign. And we'll, we'll transition in a couple minutes into the you know Rochester cocktail scene, but it's a great sign that the scene that people care about the little things, which when it comes to craft cocktails is everything. The little things are everything.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just it's all it's all built on people's interests. <clears throat> if people if people don't care, you're not gonna go that far with it. And I, I see people in this town are just excuse the pun, just thirsty for knowledge. Oh boo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got better ones. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask one slightly technical question about glycerin, because if you're if you're into it, I'm Fire into away, it, yeah. Um so you talked about the preservative characteristics of it. Um, obviously, it preserves the flavors well within, within the construct of a bitters. Does it carry the flavors differently? Because obviously there's um, alcohol-soluble flavors, you know, in food and everything else. Things carry in alcohol differently than they do in water. How do they carry, is there a difference in glycerin that the flavors that they can pull out of things than uh, what happens with ethanol or water?
1: That's uh that's a really solid question. Um and I don't have a precise answer for that. My uh my um, my best estimate based on, on what I know right now is um while it doesn't necessarily uh absorb different flavors or certain flavors better than others, it has a different base flavor itself. Um Okay. Ethanol, as you know, is 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 sharp and uh it has a little burn to it, you know. And glycerin is actually uh, kind of sweet and a little bit lighter. Um, it's used as a, as a sweetener actually in a lot of things because it, it is, is non-caloric. It has no calories. Hmm. Um, so that's, you find it in sugar-free gum and things like that. It's used as a sweetener in that. So right there you have a difference in flavor just, just based on what it is.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that that's the that's the fascinating part for me is if you know taking that next step deep.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the way it applies as a preservative is uh, is really interesting. Um, one of the things I talked about during my seminar is: uh, Do you make any any tinctures at home, or do if you ever made in your own bitters?
0: I haven't. I mean, I haven't really messed with it too much, but I've I've talked to a few people that have, and there was a, a chef in Buffalo a couple of years ago that made a whole selection of interesting bitters. He was doing like spruce and some other ones that were just delicious. Oh, nice. interesting stuff.
1: Um, well, uh, the really cool thing. Another cool thing about glycerin and ethanol is they kind of work in tandem as well. Um, if you use a 10% <coughs> glycerin solution uh, to a ethanol based tincture, hmm. um, it's actually going to keep uh, tannins precipitating. So uh, any, any herb based tincture is going to get more bitter over time. Herbs get older, they get, they get bitter, kind of like people, right. you know. <laughs> um, but ten uh, percent glycerin <laughs> added to that solution, that's actually partially because of the sweetness and just because of the way it interacts with the ethanol. It's going to keep it from getting bitter. Interesting.
0: Yeah. No, that's cool. So you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, one of the original bartenders at the Owl House. So you've, um, how long were you in Rochester before you got out of here?
1: Yeah. Um. So it's it an interesting journey. I in two thousand six. <clears throat> Um, I was working at Mex um, on Alexander Street, and uh, I was in my mid twenties and just pleased as punch to be behind a bar because it was
0: and whatever. Mex at the certainly at the time, and I, I think less so now. But it was just a super hop, you know, hopping place on the weekends with yeah. I mean, so many people. It, it went taught to me Mex. how to work
1: volume and how to do bar prep, and and it, it taught me bar 101, for sure. Yeah, I mean
0: they p- put know. out a massive amount of drinks every night.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, And because it was on Alexander Street, it <laughs> unfortunately, also taught me how to fight and things like that yeah (laughs) things you don't want to learn at work right
0: Um, it's weird because you know with the name you wouldn't necessarily expect what it is
1: it was the area it was nothing nothing to do with the business you know we we worked very hard against that grain but he can only do so much um but yeah i would gotten a little tired my life was very lateral um and so i moved to boston uh just because that's kind of where people from rochester go it's kind of the closest major city outside of of toronto and that's you know a whole nother complication I spent a couple years out there running a, a beer bar called The Other Side. Um, loved it. It was great. And then, just kind of at the same spot, I was like, I don't really have any skills, so I moved to uh, moved to New Orleans and started cooking there.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: worked at a pizza place in the Ninth Ward. It was a pizza and barbecue place. Uh, turns Which out, is
0: a weird combination. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a weird scene all around. Uh, <laughs> everyone that worked there was insane. Um, kitchen was incredibly hot we we didn't have a hood oh uh, my god yeah you can, you can get away with more stuff down there um
0: <laughs> drive-through cocktails yeah yeah exactly yeah. you know
1: so if you can imagine uh, a yankee like myself uh in july working next to a pizza oven with no hood oh, my god. Um,
0: I, I can't imagine i mean it's hot enough here in the summertime i can't even imagine it was how brutal. bad that is
1: so and it you know it wasn't the best experience it was very <laughs> very isolated oh. and uh some of the people I, I worked with i didn't really vibe with so it was oh. like not getting along with people, being stuck with them for 10 hours a day. So Yeah, exactly. I quit that gig. I started working at a place in the French Quarter called Iris as a food runner. And that was, uh, that was owned by this, uh, this amazing couple, uh, Ian Schnoblin and uh, Laurie Casabon, who are just great food service mentors. They're the sort of people that are, are doing it because they love it, but they also want to empower other people. And uh, the bartenders there, Sharon Floyd, who's uh, one of my, my nearest and dearest friends, um, taught me how to make a Sazerac one day. I saw what they were doing, and I was like, that looks complicated. And they're like, yeah, yeah, check this out. And then, you know, next week, I was like, what else What else do you do? What's another thing? They taught me how to make a mint julep. And I, I almost, you know, those sometimes moments really stick with you. I, I remember having muddled the mint, doing the crushed ice, and getting right. the sugar and, and booze in there. I remember sitting there sipping it and going, maybe this is what I want to be when I grow up. Um, so at that time, uh, Jeff Ching and Andrea Peros, who I'd worked with at the other side in Boston, we're talking about opening a place in Rochester and they're like, Yeah, we need a we need a bartender, we need somebody to run the program. And I was like, I'm a cocktail master. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know? I know how to make a Sazerac and a yeah. Jule.
1: I've made literally two cocktails. <laughs> i got this, you know. I, I I you know, and it's funny, I was <laughs> just talking to Jeff about this last night. I just I just faked it. I faked it till I made it. You, you know? know, and
0: so, and sometimes that confidence really gets you a lot of places.
1: Yeah, it was it was that and it was it was kind of walking out on the plank and yeah. being like, Well, buddy, it's time to learn to swim, you know and it worked out for me. I, I because I'd come into Rochester at a time when there wasn't a lot of craft cocktails, we pretty much had good luck. And that's
0: it. I think that they I mean they really were the first people doing it here. Absolutely. In, on a, the, in a serious way.
1: On that level absolutely. Yeah. I mean uh, Chuck is is a pioneer in that sense and it deserves a ton of credit. Um but yeah, so I was able to, because it was a small bar, I was able to kind of work the program one drink at a time and learn as I went and be like, all right, you know, this week I'm going to learn how to make a Ramus Gin Fizz, you know, I'm going to master my Manhattan, that kind of thing. So it was it was very good for me.
0: And, and it really still is a small bar, but I think it's it's one of those places where you do go for, you know, that a lot of direct personal service. You want to sit at the bar at a place. Sitting at the Elmhouse Bar is never a bad option. Oh, no. I mean, e- I, even still today, they have a really good craft beer selection and good liquor selection and you want something they're they're gonna make it for you they do a good job
1: yeah that was that was a a really nice experience for me is um because they wanted to be a beer bar and then jeff was like we'll have a couple bottles of nice scotch no mixed drinks and i was like no 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 no. (laughs) we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna make this as complicated as possible and they let me do it they they believed in me and they said you know what you're passionate you seem like you know what you're doing. Roll with it. And last year when they won the barroom brawl, I was in town for the for the RCR. I don't think they actually called the barroom brawl. Uh, whatever the name is for their their particular bar competition. Uh, oh, the, the, the Rochester uh, Cocktail Revival. Yeah, the,
0: the the finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the the bartender, whatever bartender individual bartender competition. Yeah, at was, the end of the Rochester Cocktail Revival.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the Owl House had won, and <sighs> I went over to congratulate Jeff, and and we t- he. Took a moment to thank me and he was like, you know, thanks for like thanks for pushing me on that, you know, and it was it really meant a lot to me. I was like, that's that's wonderful, you know.
0: And it really does make sense in the context of that restaurant. Yeah. You know, a restaurant that's focused on using local ingredients, you know, doing things for everybody. I mean, what else are craft cocktails other than using good ingredients, making something for everybody? Exactly. And exactly. It, not everything is for everybody, but there's always something for everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that, that actually was one of my first introductions to that angle of hospitality where it's like, What what can I be what can I be for you today? You know? What what kind of bartender do you need? You need a nerdy guy that's gonna want to talk about you know, lost or uh, <clears throat> or Game of Thrones, uh in, and and get into drink science, or do you just want do you just want a Jenny and a and a shot of Fournette and to be left alone, you know? What what do you want to get into today? That that really opened me up to that.
0: And I think I mean and we were talking a little bit about this before we started, and um, that's kind of what dragged me into it. I'm I'm a crazy researcher when it comes to everything I do. I, I'm a, I read about everything. I become at least a casual expert. I wouldn't call myself a real expert in most things I do, but I read and I get very familiar with things. So amongst people who aren't in the industry or severe nerds about it, I'll know enough to... Throw something in there, yeah. You know, I yeah. tried. I try to do that because I find it enriching to at least be solidly knowledgeable about a lot of things, yeah. And I always liked, you know, the science behind liquor and cocktails. And I always started drinking last year,
1: <clears throat> yeah, which is unusual.
0: <laughs> I, I would definitely. It's definitely unusual. Yeah. And I, yeah, I started at thirty-one. Yeah.
1: Um, now, now let me ask you this, just just out of curiosity, yeah. um, do you think the way? Uh, sort of the world's attitude about drinking has changed over the past years kind of opened you up to it? Did, like, did you kind of see the way people drank in their early 20s and that didn't appeal to you, but now you see a more refined experience?
0: Yeah, that? absolutely. I mean, I was never... It's hard for me. I, I I never got into the whole I'm drinking to get drunk and do crazy things. It doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. And, you know, it, that's great for people that do. I don't hold it against them or anything. I never did. It was the... I think a lot of that attitude... I never felt comfortable with that yeah like, i wanted to be myself and i wanted to talk about not necessarily nerdy things but i really like the idea behind it i like the flavors i like getting to know things yeah and it wasn't about i'm i'm gonna pick on mechs for a second you yeah. know going to mechs and people going crazy getting into fights doing all the other stuff
1: yeah making making poor choices
0: yeah and that never really appealed to me yeah. I'm like, I don't really want to make bad choices. Yeah. <laughs> regardless of the situation. And you certainly didn't need help if you wanted to. <laughs> right.
1: Um now was there uh was there a drink for you? Like what was the drink? Do you remember when you when you were like <clears throat> like your first full size cocktail that you were like? The first, I'm into this now. the first
0: whole drink I had was at Good Luck at my bachelor party in July of last year. And I mean I'd had sips of things here and there, so I can't say I'd never had anything before there, but my first whole drink Actually asked them to make something, and okay. it was gin, ginger, and lime. Okay, yeah, and not ginger ale. I wanted something to burn my face off with ginger.
1: Right on. So like a ginger syrup. Yeah, okay. I think they had
0: a homemade ginger syrup and fresh lime juice and gin, and it was, you know, super sharp. Yeah, and you know that you know the the aromatics from the gin and the lime juice and everything I like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what? Who made it for you, dude? Do you remember the bartender? No, I was
0: at a table, so I didn't know who made it for. Oh, me. Oh,
1: okay, okay. But you had that, and you're like, I, I need to dig into this a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I, it was weird because I decided what to have. Yeah. <laughs> instead of even ordering off a menu, which is very much me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's
1: that's cool. I mean, you're like, I'm just gonna blaze this trail away for myself. Yeah. You know, try something new.
0: And now, now having gone through a lot of different places and different menu items, and you learn a lot very quickly. Especially if you, like, I skipped the whole blank and blank thing. Yeah. You know, I skipped, you know, rum and Coke, Jack and Coke, you know, seven and sevens. I skipped all that. Yeah. I skipped cheap beer. Yeah. I've had zero cheap beers ever. Okay, okay. So I had... Does that mean no Jenny? I've never had a Jenny. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I had, what was it? I had a few high-lifes at a, um, at a... A latte art competition I was judging. Right on. Huh. And I tried a terrible beer from Stewart's the other day, which was just just the worst thing ever. It's it's this terrible can. They so Stewart's for those of you that don't know is like a convenience store in the Northeast near the Adirondacks and Albany region. Yeah, my girlfriend
1: is from there, and she always goes <laughs> on about it. She talks about it the way I talk about Wegmans.
0: Yeah, and it's really a terrible place in general. I mean, they make the, they have their own ice cream. They have you know awful breakfast sandwiches and. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. Like they have like the fruit punch and gallon containers kind of place. Yep, yep. Um, and they have a couple beers under their own name, and this one is called Mountain Brew Beer. I think I've actually had that. <laughs> yeah. And this was the Mountain Brew
1: Beer Ice. It's got like the weird drawings of people exercising all around the can. Right, which yeah. is the
0: worst. I, I, I still don't understand that because nobody would do anything athletic if they're drinking that beer. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. This <laughs> like how being bloated is it's an exercise. <laughs> it's an athletic beer. Which pursuit. I do, to be fair. <laughs> but I mean, between. I, I don't think I've had any. I've never had any of the major cheap beers. Okay. Okay.
1: Wow, that's really cool, man. That's that's a really like fresh perspective on drinking. You know? It's
0: yeah. It's I don't know. I, I just never it never got to me until I started into it for serious.
1: Yeah. So what now? I think sorry. I think I'm interviewing you now. No, uh, okay. This is cool. I'd rather <laughs> yeah. talk about different stuff. So yeah. What um? So obviously, you've been a good luck. You're I'm assuming a good luck fan. Sure. Um, we we're talking absolutely. about the revelry uh, earlier. Yep. What else? What else are you into in Rochester?
0: Uh, I mean. So between you know the revelries got some great stuff going on and that was where I got introduced to a lot of different cocktails I got to know people a little bit and got me more into the you know the bartender cocktail world sitting at the bar talking to them saying hey I liked you know I like ginger I like gin maybe something different that's kind of like that yeah and exploring the different flavor profiles that come with cocktails
1: yeah that's awesome. Do you have a, who are your favorite bartenders right now? Oh, jeez. Oh, sure.
0: I mean, it's, it's hard. So some of the people are moving on. Yeah, yeah. You know, people moved on and left and doing different things. Yeah, I know, Sarah Aikas just finished up at the Revelry. Yeah, I saw, I mean, it was very, she was one of the first people that just sat and talked to me at the Revelry. And I learned a lot just sitting there and her creating things for me. And yeah, that was great. It was really educational and entertaining at the same time.
1: Yeah, she's she's a uh, she hits all the notes. She's a wonderful personality and incredibly talented and fast. That's the thing. I'm oh, not a fast bartender. She's she's you know? really fast.
0: And uh, the guy who impressed me immediately with his speed was um, Donnie Clutterbuck at Cure. Yeah. Now at Cure, uh, formerly at the Revelry in Good Luck. Um, I mean, his the speed that he was. I used to watch him, just amazed at how fast he was making drinks without making mistakes.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And he, it's just, it was astonishing how fast he was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's outstanding. Um, I actually had the privilege of, of hosting a class with him last night at La Casa on uh, cocktail technique. And, and we're both too busy to really communicate. Yeah. So it's basically like, you get a half hour, I get a half hour. Um, it, it'll be great. You know, <laughs> and uh, that, you know, obviously, as as the hours leading into it, I started getting nervous. And I'm like, you know, like, I hope he's amazing. Hope he's not so much better than me. I look dumb. <laughs> you know, like it's like two ends of worry, and I'm just like trying to find the balance. Yeah. Um, but it, it was incredible, you know. It, it, we realized uh so he worked for Booker and Dax in New York City. Which is...
0: Yeah, he's told me about that a little bit. I had him and um one of my other favorites who's not barked any as much anymore, but uh, Zach Makita from The Revelry. Yeah, absolutely. Um but he's one of those guys that just brought the energy and brought the he brought the party yeah. just with his attitude. Yeah. And it is hard not it's a little infectious when you're around him. He's always just so into you
1: yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's 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 uh it's like enlivening yeah absolutely. being around those guys you know that's something i really i feel like i have to remind myself of because i'm sort of a naturally low energy person i'm, I'm a little bit older too i'm in, in my my mid-30s um so been you know behind bars for uh well that sounded like i was in jail uh <laughs> been working behind bars uh for over a decade so you know i i get tired you know we would typically work 12 hour sure. days and those are honestly guys i think about sometimes to kind of shame myself and, and to putting a fire under it and, <laughs> and getting it moving
0: and I, i've mentioned it to other people and i've mentioned it to them when i say i don't get how they do it yeah I, I i've never had that much energy in my entire life oh my god
1: yeah i mean the yeah especially zach he's he's just just pure lightning you know
0: <laughs> Yeah, and I've seen him before. A shift over at Joe Bean, um, you know. Just oh, two espressos and a large coffee. Let's let's get going.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know that's part of the reason we have such a strong scene in this town. I'll, I'll never forget my last night in Rochester before I moved to Boston two years ago. Um, I had my going away party at Cure. It was a Sunday evening. I had I was leaving uh, the following Tuesday, and I met John <coughs> Carroll. And he's like, "I'm new in town. I opened this bar the bar, the Revelry." I'm like, "Yeah, I heard of you guys. I love pineapples, you know." I got talking. He's like, "Listen, it's maybe a little weird." but you want to guess bartend before you leave? I'm like, well, I I could bartend tomorrow night, but that's my last night in town. Yeah. He's like, great, I just, I've heard things about you, and I I want a piece of you behind my bar.
0: I'm that's like, so cool. That's
1: so sweet. So I show up, and he's like, let me buy you dinner. You know, I got my friend with me. He's helping me move. He got us dinner, and he gets me some drinks. He's like, let me know when you're drunk. We'll get you back here. I'm like, <laughs> all right. I don't leave town. I don't care. I get back there, and he turns the lights up and this is now i know is john carroll move but this is the first time i've seen a bartender do this it's like it's like 10 o'clock everybody's doing their thing getting drunk the revelry's a big place yeah turns the lights up turns the music off hey everyone i'm sorry i'm really sorry to interrupt your evening but i need to talk to you for a second um we have somebody special here tonight introduces me to everyone you know and he's like this is luke he's been getting y'all drunk for a couple years uh he helped get the cocktail scene in this town going you know, I'm like, what is happening? What is he doing? <laughs> and he's like, I, you know, I just want everyone to to recognize that that we have someone really special back here tonight. So let's all give him a big hand. And That's then, so uh, cool. Everyone claps. Yeah. i like like bright red, just yeah. embarrassed and like, oh my god, this is. And he he hugs me and he whispers into my ear. I feel like we've known each other a long time. Oh, let's Jesus. get drunk. <laughs> wow. And yeah, I just I just kind of shook daiquiris and and it made everything. About it. And I remember thinking to myself, things are changing. Like next time I come back, this yeah. is going to be a different city. And
0: you know, it's the crazy thing. He's he was only here for a year, you know, a year or a little more, and it really did change. Yeah, and the, the, I mean, as much as obviously, good luck was a pioneer. The brewery kind of kicked it into kicked it into the next level with sort of the scene part of you know craft cocktails. Exactly. I mean, they they really brought the. I don't know, really brought the, the hipness to it, I think, because, I mean, Cure was always, I mean, not Cure, uh, Good Luck was there, and it was kind of like the, the Lone Bastion, you know, Owl House was doing some good stuff, but there wasn't like, I don't know, there, there wasn't a lot of fervor for craft cocktails yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is Good Luck has <laughs> always been a restaurant first, and they're an yeah. incredible bar. Um, but I think they're primarily a restaurant first. The Owl House is definitely a restaurant first. They have about seven seats at that bar, um, and you had Cheshire, which is still the only only cocktail bar. And, and Starr, yeah, which else it's still is
0: one of those still one of those hidden things.
1: Absolutely, but, and
0: it's still a cool place to go to.
1: But I think the, what the Revelry brought was was they brought faster cocktails, and they brought yeah. you know big time personality. Um, and they were they were the first place that was a restaurant, but it felt more like a bar. Yeah, you know?
0: and it really does. When you're there, you forget there's a restaurant above you. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. See people coming down from dinner, and you're like, "But we're having a dance party down here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: there's bongos and everything else going on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he really he really did change things, and then he's gone. Yeah. And I mean, obviously doing great things in Buffalo right now, too, with Buffalo Properts, and it really transported what the revelry was bar wise and put it in buffalo
1: yeah yeah um <clears throat> i had the honor of guest bartending there last year um he set me up on the second floor bar and let me do my own weird thing i, I at the time i had a caribbean gothic theme menu that i was that i was working on that sounds um, really cool yeah yeah I, I i love um tiki's a big inspiration for me has been for a few years mm. um and i love the boilerplate tiki theme it's fine funny mugs uh hawaiian lays that kind of stuff um
0: what's not to like
1: yeah yeah um but i i want to get weird with it i want to i want to make it even weirder so I, i've been doing the caribbean gothic thing for a while I, i've gotten away from that um just lately uh and it's getting a little get a little bit heady but I, i've been reading a lot about how tiki is, is sort of built around cultural appropriation and yeah
0: i mean there, there's and you, there, a lot of things are when you really step back and look at them
1: absolutely absolutely but I, I and i i don't think that's the worst thing in the world i don't think it's a good thing mm. um but I, 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 I. What I'm saying is, I don't think that anybody who's into tiki and the normal tiki stuff is a bad person.
0: You no, know? And, it, and people definitely don't think about it in that context. It's definitely more veiled than, let's say, the Washington Redskins. Yes,
1: absolutely. It's absolutely. definitely more
0: veiled, and if most people who are drinking them would never think about that unless you took those extra three steps of Wikipedia diving or something. Exactly. And into that's
1: it. and that's kinda of, people don't people don't think about it. that's the line right there because I I think people should be educated on it. And I'm not talking about your everyday just guy who walks into a bar looking for a Mai Tai. Right. You know, we don't need to sit that guy down and be like, here's 100 years of history, you know? I, I'm, talking about, I'm <laughs> talking about educating bartenders. Right. Because you should just be aware of what you're doing. You know, I, I still see uh, at bars, and bars I really like, I still see Charlie Chin Tiki Mugs, where it's like, <sighs> that's, that's like a kind of rough, uh, I mean, if that was representative of a different race, it would be like, no way, you know?
0: Right, and there's, it, it's hard because it was of the time. Yeah, and Tiki really was of the time, and it's being revived now. Exactly, and it really was the fifties. I mean, Tiki yeah, yeah. was the fifties, the forties and fifties. I mean, fifties, absolutely. That was Tiki, and that was at the time nobody gave that a second thought. Exactly. I mean, Charlie Chan movies and all that stuff, and. Uh, uh you know the pink panther movies
1: yeah at the time that was probably actually considered being revenant or respectful of the cultures yeah. you know and we, we, we've changed a lot since then and it's funny you look at the the originator of tiki uh don beach or Don the beachcomber his real name is uh Ernest raymond beaumont gant um which is probably the whitest name i've ever heard oh it's <laughs> so white um and the that's... only thing it would
0: be more white if he had like a number at the end if he had a three at the <laughs> yeah, end yeah, the third yeah. yes yeah esquire <laughs> um esquire
1: um but yes, yeah, so that uh that's who created Tiki. So that yeah. tells the story right there. He traveled to the islands a bit as a kid, he knew a bit about Polynesia, and he owned uh it was basically a whiskey bar in Los Angeles and said, Well yeah, I got this idea. And it was brilliant. What Absolutely. he did was brilliant, and what he created was a lasting legacy. But I think it's okay now to look back at that and comb through and say, you know, this this mug has unusually large features. This maybe I don't want behind my bar. You know? Yeah. I think it's okay <clears throat> to piecemeal pick things out. But I, what I've tried to do is is take the feeling of tiki. Tiki to me is is, is about paradise and escape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's one of the original tenets. That's why tiki bars, traditional tiki bars, don't have windows. You can see outside. So if it's raining, it's daytime. It's whatever you don't want to see outside of a bar. It's not there. It's not real.
0: You know, you know, I remember there was the place we just walked into. We didn't have anything to drink. I wasn't drinking at the time. We stayed at a place in San Francisco that was right across the street from a famous tiki bar. There, that's I think underground, or it's you know, looks, there's like a river running through it and it's one of these legendary tiki bars that just screams, it's only that.
1: Yeah, yeah. They
0: only do that and they, you know, big drinks with fire and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's how, and I love that. I was just <clears throat> in Chicago and I went to two amazing places, Three Dots and a Dash and Lost Lake. that were very much that and I didn't want to leave, you know. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to live here in this bar now, hang out on the stool and, and, and chug rum. Um But what I've tried to do with, with my personal take on it is, and, and this ties into uh ties into where i b- work in boston too. uh back bar um taking the feel of tiki and <clears throat> taking it to outer space and mm. instead of uh instead of uh hawaiian girls in, in 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 grass skirts and that sort of thing um we have darth vader you know and instead of uh you can you can buy star wars mugs you know we, we do a darth vader mug at, at back bar that's awesome um, yeah exactly and just, you know, a, a line I like to use with guests is like, I can take you to paradise, absolutely, but wouldn't you rather go to outer space? Yeah. You know? Um, so that's that's kind of the theme I'm, I'm working with now. It's uh, well,
0: a really cool idea. I mean, there's different ways different ways you could have angled it. Um, taking it to a whole different area is probably, I'm going to use the word easier. Yeah, Because yeah. you're completely separating yourself from it. Absolutely. And the, the other way would be to take it more traditional. Yeah. To, um, instead of you know reappropriating turn into an homage to the original ingredients exactly so you'd be either to really dive deeper into it and tackle it from a more i'm going to use the word authentic even though i hate using the word i catch your meaning but but diving more into like you know going back to more traditional polynesian ingredients and you know trying to yeah more honor it instead of reappropriate i think there's that's a could have been a different way of taking it too. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think
1: I think that's a fine way to do it. I am I, definitely not talking about burning the whole thing down and starting over. Yeah, you know, but I think by doing what I do, and people, you know, obviously they assume that I have a, a you know a, a Firefly or Star Wars angle on this drink. Um, it's because I'm a nerd, which is. Yeah. Not inaccurate. <laughs> right. Totally true. But if we get into conversation about it, I might get the chance to say, you know, I'm, I'm sort of uncomfortable with some of the themes that, that uh, are in traditional tiki. And then maybe we get to have a conversation about it where it doesn't feel like I'm cramming it down their throat. And then right. maybe they have some thoughts about it and maybe they, they change <clears> their <throat> mind about some things. And so to me, it's a sort of subtle way of, of nudging in this idea of we can do a little bit better, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that's the case in a lot of food anyways. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the idea that uh the idea that, you know, local you know, buying local, buying ethically sourced ingredients is a fad or a or a style now instead of, oh, this is the only way you should be doing it. Yeah. Not necessarily just local, but ethically sourced and dealing with you know, making sure your animals are properly raised, making sure you're not, you know, attacking the land with the with the vegetables you're buying. It's there, there there's a whole story behind that too. But I really like that idea. I'm I'm Glad you brought it up. I think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's <laughs> just it's it's about conversation, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, this well, is
0: it, and that's what bartending is. A lot of times is about a conversation with what you're making.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah, definitely. And that's you know, I mean, it's it all comes back to this word hospitality. You know, that's 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 the uh, the number one <sighs> word in our business that holds the most meaning. That's what we're doing. And to me, hospitality number one is about empathy. And if something you're doing offends a group of people. Or hurts their feelings. That that's not great hospitality, you know. Yeah. So if we if we can if we can work towards changes subtly, without making other people feel like they're bad people for just having a good time, yeah. Then that's great. I think we're doing we're doing our jobs.
0: I, I think there's there's a fine line. Obviously, there's the the whole PC movements coming back right now. Yes. And it's I think in a lot of ways it's going too far. And in a lot of ways, I mean, like what you're doing, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm down with it. There's no reason to. No reason to do something negative for no no real gain like that, there's no there's no positive to doing you know to doing that
1: yeah it's not about fighting people <laughs> it's not you just you just, again just use the perfect word negativity it's, it's yeah. not about negativity it's about positivity yeah i don't know if uh if you've have seen any of the recent south parks I uh, just watched the first
0: episode of the season was
1: that the pc uh, yes PC, okay so that they actually i mean south Park always I, hits the nail on I head. love the South Park guys yeah.
0: and I their style is very much my style of humor. I Me love too. what That's they
1: do. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, and it's, it's. I mean, I don't know how it still keeps getting better. It, <laughs> it's amazing.
0: It's been getting what better. Are in season like
1: 20-something now? Uh, I
0: think it's season 19 and it's been getting consistently better since season four.
1: Yeah, there is the first <clears throat> couple seasons. I mean, I was young enough then that that was funny. But now right. like, you know, I, I look back and I'm like eh, I can't really watch this. But yeah, the 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 uh the PC bro episode like kind of nailed it. It was it's, astonishing. Yeah. It's,
0: <coughs> it was it's not about
1: harassing people into thinking the way that you the you do because that's part of the reason that we have some of these problems today because other right. people did that with what they believe, you know. Um so it, yeah, it is it is uh it's about uh gentle pressure um and not even pressure. That's not the word. The gently no, but
0: it's, It's it's a nudge. It's a and you're doing. I think doing in the way you're doing it makes the most sense. Say, hey, I'm just doing things differently. And if you ask a question, I'll tell you why I'm doing it. Yeah, exactly. Because you, oh, because Star Wars is cool. Yeah. yeah. And why wouldn't you want to do it that way? Regardless of you know the the PC part of it, why wouldn't you want to do something different? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to try a different angle at it?
1: Yeah. Like because it
0: takes away the restrictions too
1: exactly exactly yeah i mean the point is it's supposed to be for everybody yeah you know
0: so yeah and i just looked it up uh because i'm a completist uh the tonga room is what i was thinking of in san francisco okay
1: yeah i've heard the name um i actually haven't been out to the west coast yet but yeah and i've
0: seen it on uh like anthony bourdain a bunch of times it's like one of the places he always goes when he's there yeah um
1: san Francisco serious man we were in a competition at tales of the cocktail a few years ago the bar mm -hmm. i work at um we competed and lost against this bar uh trick dog and they were just, it. not to brag, but it, it takes a lot for me to be intimidated just by watching a bartender work, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, you can master most of these techniques in a couple years. Sure. Um, maybe not master, but you can get really good at them and just watching like the way those guys stirred and the way they moved behind the bar. it was just like, I feel like I should just be sitting down and taking notes instead of yeah. going up against these guys, you know? Oh, sure. And that was the best San Francisco has to offer. So I'm not surprised, but
0: well, I might have to get a couple places from you cause I'm going out there for Thanksgiving this year.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Reach out to me. Uh, I'm, and- I'm really
0: excited. I've, I haven't been out there since I started drinking, so I'm really excited to try a bunch of those places out.
1: It's going to be some great spots. A buddy of mine from Boston, uh, Tim Hagney, actually just took over the cocktail program in a bar called Maven. I'm okay. very excited for him. <clears throat> um, we worked at the same bar in Boston together. That was uh, a neighborhood bar, not a bad place, but beers and shots, and we were both just miserable. We're like, we just want to nerd <laughs> out and like build flavors and. Experiment, not worry about the bottom line, and <laughs> you know. And now we both work at great bars and opposite ends of the country. Every artist's dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: So let's dive into Boston because Boston's my when I'm going somewhere out of town, I go to Boston because I have a friend who's right outside of town. Where and, does your friend live at? Uh, he lives in just outside of Newton, hmm. so not not too far out. Yeah. Um, not too far out. Easy, easy to get into. Easy to get into the city. Um, but far enough out where you're not, you know, paying crazy, yeah, ridiculous Boston, Boston prices, just crazy Boston prices.
1: Yeah. I mean, I got the last affordable, affordable apartment in Somerville and <laughs> once the T oh, stop goes in down boy, the street, yeah. that's the end of it. You oh know? yeah.
0: That's the end of days. That's probably,
1: probably be time to relocate. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so, uh, so you're a big Boston guy, which is great. Yeah, I'm really enjoying city. it because
0: it's, it's a very approachable city in a lot of ways. You, you can get into their public transportation, you can get around, you can walk around pretty easily yeah Um, everything's gettable yeah and it's a city i've really enjoyed getting to know yeah
1: i mean it's it's exciting there right now too the food and beverage scene is just exploding like i actually had committed to a bar in new york city two years ago when i was leaving Mm. rochester and almost last minute like a couple days uh before i was gonna move a friend of mine in boston was like i just need you to trust me you belong in boston it's just such a weird thing. You know? It <laughs> for, is a weird thing like, to no, say. No, yeah. no. Change everything in your life because I got a feeling, but I've trusted her and uh, it was the right move. Um, yeah. Like I said, the spot I landed at wasn't quite for me, um, but once I got into Back Bar, I'm like I'm now kind of living my dream.
0: So what I've heard a lot about Back Bar from other people. What what's the what is the place? What what is it all about?
1: It's uh it's a little craft cocktail bar in a back alley in Somerville. Um we're behind uh, two bars called the Independent and Bronwyn, which are both really nice spots. Um, Bronwyn, an amazing German uh food place. Hmm. Um and we're we're it's a red door next to a dumpster, um, with a service entrance down an unmarked <laughs> hallway. Um and you know, it's funny a Japanese TV show actually did an episode on us, um and the way we watched it, it was all in Japanese. We did not know what the hell they were saying, but yeah. the way they did it is this mm, like low ominous hum, and they're coming up on the door, and, the, and you hear the Japanese commentators like, "Oh no!" Like, what is this? And then it, you go down the hallway, and it just gets darker, and then the, they open up the front door, and then it's like you know, there's like chimes and like
0: ah, like,
1: <laughs> but that that sort of encapsulates the experience. Like, yeah, this is weird, you know. And and you know, I, I was mentioning this earlier when we were chatting, but I worry that because we have that, people think, oh, these people think they're better than us. They're, like, hiding away in this back alley of their little cocktail lab, and that's all true. But (laughs) we definitely don't think we're better than anybody. We serve people for a living. Um, We're very Mm hospitality-driven. So I I feel like by having sort of a nerdy angle to it, that's Mm going to make certain people think... All right, this guy definitely doesn't think he's better than me. You know what I mean? We we can nerd out and talk about how bad the Phantom Menace was, at least, you know? Yeah, it
0: definitely helps. I mean, having at least some angle where people even if they're not comfortable with necessarily the, the style or the cocktails, it's something that people can latch on to.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you had mentioned how you're a big fan of Autobahn. Um Yeah,
0: it's it's my my buddy, every time we go in we drive in we'll drive in like after work or we'll get there at like eight or nine o'clock on a Friday and we're like oh we got to go somewhere that has food now yeah we want a good drink we want simple food that's done well and we end up there just because it's uh i was describing it as a post-hype cocktail bar
1: absolutely there's a big movement in boston where it's these neighborhood bars um another example uh highland kitchen um jm curly like these bars that do world-class cocktails Mm. but they're a neighborhood spot you know and uh back bar is sort of the other end of that where it's like well we're a little bit further down the rabbit hole
0: right um, which you need both absolutely i think you need the people pushing the limits because who's creating the next trend who's creating the next ideas yeah yeah you gotta have that
1: and for for every type of person a bar i, yeah. I always like to think you know yeah, like sure. we, can, we can all be diverse and and but i do love that movement of places where it's like first and foremost this is a bar you should be casual and comfortable and if if you want an awesome negroni like coming right up you know right um but yeah that's that's a really cool cool thing about that town um what uh what other bars have you been to any of the bars in boston you're a big fan of i I
0: haven't been to a ton of the bars i've been to more of the restaurant side of things of course because i've like uh and actually one of the restaurants i've been to a lot that has um great cocktails as well is oh wow am i really forgetting the name of this place do you know what neighborhood it's in oh yeah it's in the it's near it's near harvard it's um alden and harlow no, I was at with this last time, which was That's really cool. Yeah, um, but oh, I'm just I'm hating myself right now because I've been to this place like five times, and it's the best burger I've ever had. Oh, oh, it's 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 in uh, Craigie and Main. Oh, of course, Tony yeah. Ma's place. Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I know it's Maine and it's a it's a high fine dining place, but when you go to the bar, you have to wait in line before it opens. To sit at the bar and get a $19 hamburger, that is the best thing, best hamburger I've ever had. Probably
1: life-changing. It's astonishing. I mean, I haven't had it, but I can can just tell it's amazing. It's
0: unbelievable. And it's one of those like, oh, this is how great a hamburger can be when it's sourced, grass-fed, brought to the proper fat, cooked certain way, seared to perfect crispness. It's like everything a hamburger could be in a hamburger.
1: Yeah, I really love that, that we've gotten. And I actually, it's funny, when I was talking to the guys at the Playhouse last night, I, I dropped your name a few times. Yeah. Several love people those said, guys. big hamburger guy.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, they said that's your jam.
0: Yeah, um, and it's one of those things where it's such an easy thing to do wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's such an easy thing to do right. But so many people don't take the couple steps to do it properly. Yeah. And why aren't you putting a crust on your hamburger? why aren't you cooking it properly why aren't you seasoning your thing properly
1: yeah there's no excuse for that yeah exactly and you know that's the same way i think um lift bars that purport to have a good cocktail program that don't take the couple hours to learn how to how to shake and stir and what kind of ice to use and and things like that you know but you know then again not everybody's going to be great at it
0: no you know you can't everybody can't be great but I really hope everybody can be competent.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just want everyone to do well. So that, Absolutely.
0: Know. I mean, there's no, I, that, I think that's the thing that hits me most is I just get disappointed. Like, why, why aren't you doing it properly? Yeah. Because a lot of times it really doesn't take that much more than what you're already doing. Yeah. To do it right. Yeah. You don't have to buy, you know, 100-pound blocks of ice made from, you know, sourced water and carve it by hand. and Yeah. You don't have to do all that.
1: Absolutely not. You know, know,
0: should you filter your water? Yeah, you should filter your water.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, like,
0: you don't have to do everything. You don't have to hand carve every cube. Yeah. You don't have to do that.
1: We do do that at my job. But do you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not every cube. That, that's not true. <laughs> uh, we have a uh, cold draft machine for our standard ice, but we hand cut ice for uh, drinks served on the rocks or, or for uh, spirits that's served on awesome. the rocks. It's really I mean, odd. for
0: me, that sounds great. <laughs> oh, I love
1: it. I love it. I mean, there's a, a company called Brookline Ice and Coal. A lot of places in Boston cut their own ice for this reason because they can get it delivered um, and they, they um, agitate it while they, while they chill it. So mm-hmm. basically, pushes all the impurities to the outside and they can slice that off. And then we get this 60 uh, pound block of ice. And with a Japanese noodle knife that my boss got in Japan and a hammer, we cut it down to these basically three inch blocks. And it's it's the most peaceful thing.
0: Oh, guess where like. I'm going next time I'm in Boston? Oh my God, absolutely. Oh, it's going to be so cool. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to see that. Yeah. Because that's just like, that's taking nerdery to another level. And yeah. I always interested in that
1: yeah my actually and my uh my roommate and and uh one of the best bartenders i know kyle powell is going to be opening a spot um in the seaport area boston called state street provisions and they're going to be they're going to be cutting ice to order in that fashion wow yeah that's
0: a crazy idea
1: yeah it's it's i love i love the idea of slowing yourself down on purpose to do something better but also just to make yourself work harder so you're like like, well i've created all these challenges for myself better get to it oh yeah
0: because if you're cutting nice to order that's you either have to have an army of people or you have to know that you can only sell x amount of things a night
1: yeah yeah (laughs) or really just you know hustle hustle through the the steps like all the steps that you take for every drink like just move faster yeah
0: make make everything every movement correct
1: yeah don't make mistakes yeah yeah (laughs) don't waste movement
0: it's a fascinating idea
1: i remember that one of my first days at back bar uh i was training on service bar we have a separate room for service bar so you're kind of in this closet um just cranking out drinks they mm-hmm. have uh all the cocktails in the menu batched and little bottles of all the things so you it's really just go 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 and uh the woman who was training me looked looked at something and she was like i was <sighs> yeah i was just uh, i forget what tool she was looking for mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, i was looking for that up there but i know it wasn't up there so i just wasted a head movement and i was i remember wow. thinking i was like a head movement like you think you're never going to get that back, or <laughs> like, yeah? And I it really it set the tone for me because I was like, dude, this place is serious. <laughs> you know, well,
0: it, it does. It sets that in a lot of ways. It, it sets that. Um, I'm going to go back to my corporate background. Uh, you know that that uh, kaizen, always improving. It's a lot of these five S things where it's everything in its place. And in a lot of environments, it doesn't make sense. But when you're doing repetitious things, when you're trying to be as efficient as possible. Everything does have to be in its place. Everything has to be prepared ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't be doing things on the fly when it has to be ready to go.
1: Yeah, and even <coughs> even more so when you're not on a service bar, when you're when you're when you're working a main bar and you're talking directly to guests, you don't really want to look down. Yeah. If you can avoid looking down your whole shift, then that's kind <coughs> of a, that's you kind of pitched a no hitter, kind of perfect there, you know? Because um, you you want to be looking at your guests, and especially right. at a place where the drinks might take a little bit longer. You want that eye contact. So right. You know, oh, this guy's got me. He's just he's just doing something
0: engagement's a huge thing
1: yeah yeah that's that's a a big lesson that i feel like bartenders learn uh more quickly now these days (coughs) you know now that now that things are so far ahead and and people have longer to go to catch up right that's that's something that's really enforced from from the giddy up which which is awesome
0: yeah that's really cool yeah so we've got i'm we could keep on talking forever but we've got we've got three different feed brothers bidders here that we're yeah, gonna let's, taste.
1: Let's taste some bitters. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna start you out with uh, with one of my favorite flavors. Um, this is uh, our <clears throat> our aromatic or old fashioned bitters mm-hmm. um, that we uh, throw in. Uh, excuse me, Four Roses barrels. We've gone through a diff- few different ones. It used to be Jack Daniels, then it was Maker's Mark. Now we're on to Four Roses. So okay. So it kind of keeps getting bitter every edition. Uh, but this is the brand new. These just uh, went in bottles last week, so we oh, might be the cool. first people in Rochester tasting them. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that's it exciting. pretty cool. And what you're going to notice about that, and I see uh, on on your lovely bar back there that you have our, our standard old-fashioned Yes, beers. absolutely. Um, and I, I keep saying aromatically. Well, Fee Brothers is old-fashioned. Joe is going to yell at me. <laughs> I'm used to it. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> So the differences you're gonna notice is that the uh the cinnamon is a little bit sweeter. That's from the oak mellowing it.
0: Um, it definitely it definitely still has that aroma though. It has that I'm gonna use that uh fireball like aroma. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not fireball like, you know, the, the the new drink, but like that. Like the candy. Yeah, the fireball candy yeah. aroma.
1: Yeah, that's that to me is that's sweet cinnamon, uh, in my book. Um and you'll you'll get that even more so on your palate. If if you're making me uh a traditional Manhattan, that's that's the bitters. That I I would uh, I would shoot for, is our our whiskey barrel aged old fashioned.
0: So we were going through the little routine before. So why don't you explain the routine while I'm doing this Absolutely. for for tasting bitters because this is there's always a routine for tasting things. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I, I learned about you know routines for you know cupping coffee, for tasting chocolate. Different. It's which is really cool. We'll yeah. talk about that another time. But
1: which by the way, um, this <laughs> is uh, I mean. Me and Chris just met today. I had wrote, written to him uh, on Facebook and yeah. said, you know, do you want to do this thing? He's like, absolutely. It's my first time at his house. And it's like, I'm, I'm dragging a little bit. Can you make me some coffee? And the guy, the guy makes me a... Uh, is that, that's a Chemex pot, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm an amateur making coffee, but I do... I have a hand grinder. I've got a Chemex. I've got a scale. Yeah. I try to do things the right way as much as I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was lovely hospitality and a much appreciated... See, look at that
0: hospitality, even in the <laughs> podcast business. <laughs>
1: absolutely. <laughs> Wherever, wherever it fits. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the, the long and short for tasting bitters, um, my preferred method is uh, pour a little dollop on the back of your hand. Another great thing about FIBA, there's because we're glycerin-based, um, they're a bit more viscous, but thicker. And it does
0: stay in place because glycerin is a thickener.
1: Exactly. So that'll, that'll sit right on there. Um, and that's something you can think about, too. I talk about this a lot during seminars for your garnish game. Um, I like to do a lot of drinks where I get a sage or a mint leaf or something like that mm. and float uh, any darker colored bitter. Something's going to show up, black walnut, uh, uh, old-fashioned, what have you, and it will sit right on top of that drink. And Interesting. So it's kind of like, it, you know
0: the leaf Um, tips
1: and you you get the bitters in your drink really cool yeah yeah um but anyway get a little uh get a little dollop on the back of your hand and then first things first give it a smell anytime you taste anything give it a smell first right because you want to you want to get basically get your head acclimated um and then uh you you go ahead and you just kind of lick it right off your hand
0: And and it definitely does have a sweetness
1: absolutely yeah
0: um the cinnamon's a lot less on the palate than it is in the aromatics.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, definitely true. It's just so much more mellow, you know? And that's, yeah. that's why I prefer those over our regular old-fashioned. Though our regular old-fashioned are great. Um, and now, and then you're moving on to the next step there, you've got a little bit left on your hands after licking it off, obviously. Rub that on your hands and then smell your hands. And the reason for that is your, your, your nose and your palate work together uh, as this, like, really great team you yeah. know it's like uh batman and robin but something cooler than robin in there uh, <laughs> uh, and uh it's the process uh, to my understanding is called retronasal smell um and what happens is when you taste something your mouth starts breaking down and releasing enzymes and those enzymes basically inform your nose like oh this is what's going on down here you know so it kind of gives gives your nose some notes so then when you smell it again it smells a little bit different yeah. because you just you have a, more of an understanding of what's happening there. Um, and your palate's <clears throat> palate's been introduced to it. Um, which is just fascinating to me that that you're basically that's how your body works. You know? It's yeah. almost engineered to taste things.
0: And it's weird, in between the aromas, I mean, it kind of plays along the same lines as um, you know, when you put a, a cologne on too, you know, the what it smells like right away, what it smells like on a card, what it smells like on your person, how it breaks down over time. And, you know, aromas become, you know, very essential to people yeah yeah i've i've used the same cologne for a while and you know the wife knows that i'm wearing it that day because it's it smells the combination of me and the cologne is very much me at that point yeah yeah and once you get used to these i mean it becomes more when you have it in something that
1: you're used to exactly yeah when you're acclimated to it you you can understand it a little bit better um here let's taste the next one um so I mentioned that the whiskey barrel-aged old-fashioned or aged in four roses. Um, this is amazing. So this is uh, our gin barrel-finished orange bitters. And what we Interesting.
0: do... Interesting. I love orange and I love gin, so...
1: Yeah, it's great. It, it, um, so it's aged Ooh. in Ransom Old Tom gin barrels. Are you familiar with Ransom Old Tom?
0: Yeah, I've had it a couple times. I, I don't have any in the house yet, but I love the idea of aged... You know, old style gin. You
1: know, yeah, I love I love oaked gin. I mean, I'm American, so I, I prefer everything with a little bit of oak to it. I think. Um, but what is really cool about it is it it pulls obviously oak out of the barrel, but a bit of juniper too. And orange and juniper are classic. I mean, the the original martini had orange bitters in it. Like that that is a, a classic flavor pairing. If there ever was one.
0: Yeah, and it really, it smells more orange when you smell the bottle directly. Yeah,
1: yeah, When absolutely. you smell it in your
0: hand, it definitely it tones it down a little bit because it's got that it has that rindy. You know that bright, almost artificial orange smell,
1: yeah, yeah, um, I could definitely see that it's it's very bright on the very nose. very bright, yeah, um but once it, you get into the palate,
0: oh yeah, but
1: denser is definitely some oak any i I, mm. I i tell guests this all the time any any drink that calls for an oak spirit and orange bitters uh like a palmetto or an old fashioned or anything like that, that's the bitters you wanna use because it's it's just gonna it's gonna melt with that oak. And give you just a really beautiful expression of orange bitters. Yeah,
0: because it's that orange bitterness that it's hard to get, unless you're you know expelling your own oils and yeah, which is which is fun. I'm sure I'm sure that's a blast too, trying to get your own oil out of the oranges and using that.
1: And yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a cool <laughs> process. You know, that's that's funny. That's that's something that me and Joe Fee, uh, obviously my boss, talk about all the time because he. uh He's been a fee forever, you know. So right. his his attitude is, you don't need to make any of your own stuff. Just 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 buy our stuff, you know. He's he's half kidding when he says that <laughs> stuff, but half, you know. Um, whereas I'm like, yeah, you want to work on something? You want to make your own orgeat? You can have my recipe. Like, let's do it, you know. Yeah. And then <laughs> once you're tired of putting all the effort in, let's <laughs> let's let's get you some of our product because it's it's uh, you know pretty much just as good, right, right now. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that is my favorite orange bitters on the market.
0: Yeah, it's very bright, and I can see you don't you need you don't you wouldn't need to use a lot of it. To make an impact.
1: Absolutely not. Just
0: su- it's such a, just enough to, you know, put that aromatics through the whole the drink. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the appeal of bitters is you don't have to use a lot to make a difference.
1: Absolutely. You know, you can. You know, I, I have, I've loved doing drinks that use like a quarter ounce or more or, you oh, know, wow. even three quarters of an ounce of bitters. I have a a, a drink that's a riff on the modern classic Trinidad Sour um, where I put a bit of an Alpine Amaro in it um, and it's called the Trinidad and Toboggan. And uh, I like buns, uh, <laughs> and that uses three quarters of an ounce of uh, of <laughs> aromatic bitters. Wow! Um, and it's it's really cool playing with that flavor profile. Yeah, um, it's a little bit different with Fee Brothers because when it's the base spirit, that's <laughs> that's practically a mocktail, right? Um,
0: yeah, it's definitely getting on the sweet side too.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move you on to our newest flavor, which is this is very exciting. We did a molasses bitters, and this is one of the th- one of the things I love about Fee Brothers is when we're thinking about a new flavor, one of the questions is, what's well, not out there yet? You know? And, and there are, uh, I believe, um, I'm going to blank on their name, but there's a company out of Minnesota that is doing a uh, blackstrap uh, bitters. And, okay. and that's the only one, <laughs> only one I know of that, that is a, a molasses bitters, but they're very different from ours. Um, these ones... Yeah,
0: really. It, it, it almost doesn't have a... almost has like a dark brown sugar aroma. Not quite molasses, because you know, molasses got that... I don't know how to describe it, but...
1: Yeah, well, it's to me, because when he said molasses, my, my initial fear, mm. my original anxiety was, oh my God, they're going to taste like candy. Right. You know? And when I smelled them, that's when I got excited, because to me, it smells like what molasses is probably like when they're scraping it out of the fats, You know? It's Ooh. got this almost industrial feel to it, where it's yeah. just funky, you know?
0: And it has a certain tang to it, and less sweetness than you'd expect.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 again it's just funky it works really well with agricole rum um Hmm. if you're a rum guy at all that's that's the funkiest of the rums you know that's that's the
0: grassy uh vegetal rum Um, yeah it it plays in that brown sugar molasses world without overpowering necessarily it's it's actually really interesting
1: yeah i like that a lot yeah yeah and they they slipped a a little bit of chicory in there too which is awesome um because again, me, me having New Orleans roots, just chicory, just in general, excites me. You know? That's kind of
0: everything down there, isn't it? Like they it, they love the chicory.
1: It's it's huge. Yeah, I mean they, they cut their coffee with it. It's Poison- you know? po-
0: poisoning their coffee with it. I'm not so sure about the whole chicory coffee thing.
1: You know, I I drink coffee so infrequently that uh, it's it's a treasure every time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll take a I'll take a a, a lovely made Chemex, but yeah. no matter what, it's just... but it's coffee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, instant wakey juice <laughs> yeah that's cool <laughs> um but yeah so that's that's you know three of our, our 17 uh flavors um and it, you get into we were talking earlier you mentioned that we do celery our rhubarb um is a, again a very unique flavor um absolutely i think there was another one on the market but that company uh stopped producing bitter sadly so i think we're the only rhubarb on the market and I, one of our best flavors um, especially right now it's fall like put that in something with strawberries in it you know sure. <laughs> or anything with whiskey or rum or applejack. Yeah. You know? Oh
0: yeah. So yeah, applejack's one of those lost liquors that's kind of coming back now. Yeah. Because for a long time there was only what one company making it, right? One yeah. Or two Laird's. so there's Laird's, and that was about it.
1: Yeah, and it's still tough to get. It's, well, apple brandy Mm-mm. is actually a little bit tougher to get, and um, I'm I'm not fully certain enough about the differences to to really get into it. Um, yeah. But a- applejack has a has a lower uh, spirit base. I know that for sure. Um. So apple Brandy's really hard to find. Yeah. Um, but I was just at the Owl House, literally right before this. I stopped mm-hmm. by to see uh, see Dan, and I was Who's
0: like, a "Great guy! Oh my
1: god, he's amazing!" D-
0: Dan Brennan, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's gonna be the one of the guys over at the Playhouse, and he's a gem of a guy. I, I love him. He's he's a really cool guy to talk to. Yeah, and one of those super approachable regular guys that just loves. Loves the cocktail scene.
1: So yes, yeah, so so hungry for knowledge. Like he approached me last night. Uh, it was a little bit late. It was it was about the time when I was texting my girlfriend. Like I'm really drunk. I should probably <laughs> go back to the hotel. I don't know why you need to know this. Uh, yeah. But he he grabbed me and he was like, you know, can I can I pick your ear for a minute? And he he's like, I've I'm a former lawyer. Uh, I uh, I do this now. And I was like, all right, I like you. Yeah, <laughs> I was, exactly. we'd met before I already knew I liked it, but uh, you know, uh, he was asking how to get better at it, and I was like, well. I'm, i've had a few so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna get a little wordy here you know Mm -hmm. um but he just everything i said he was like awesome awesome you know like that's so cool thank you um but yeah so he was like i'd love it if you came in i actually just through being busy and and not being in rochester full-time hadn't been to the owl house since i left wow um so went back in today and i was like make me whatever you know um, and he made me, uh, sort of a riff on a Manhattan he's working on with a touch of allspice, uh, Applejack base, and then our molasses and cardamom bitters. And it was to die for. And he had this local Applejack. That's...
0: Yeah. Apple country spirits.
1: That's the one. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. they're,
0: yeah, they're making it there. And, uh, I think they had, it was up to two year, two year age, I think is it was what they're two years. The one he made. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the most they have so far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's not to say it's perfect, but that we have it at all Well, that's... is just, is just a great development. That's
1: something I miss uh, being in Massachusetts, because there's a couple, but not nearly as many as what I call like farm distilleries, where there's, you know, things like that, like it's wineries or people on farms, they're like, we're going to make this one spirit. You know, like Finger Lakes Distilling is is greatly missed in my life. Mm. I I think... I think they make the best American cassis that I've ever had. I think it's outstanding. Um and their gin, the Seneca Drums gin is amazing, you know. Interesting. Um and then again there's there's Great Craft Distilleries in Massachusetts, but they don't have the connection to the wineries and farms that we do in New York State. So yeah, like, and I think
0: I, that's that's one thing because all of our basically all of our distilleries have are basically farm related. Yeah, yeah. Because of the because of the farm act, they have to be certain percentage local ingredients. To even operate, yeah. Um, it kind of oh, it cool. forces them all into that, yeah. Like you know, uh, you know, black button and, uh, and apple country, and it's all local ingredients basically, yeah. And it's it's a really cool. It forces them into it, but it still ends up being pretty cool because of it.
1: Yeah, I think it gives it gives craft spirits in New York a very unique <clears> angle. Um, plus, I mean, apples in New York are, are pretty much synonymous, right? So we yeah. should be making good applejack out here.
0: Oh, uh, I hope so. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, apparently we are. <laughs>
0: All right, nice. well, I think we've covered most of it, and obviously we could keep on rambling about other topics and Star Wars and other things, but yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to cut off for tonight. So, um, Luke Theers, why don't you give some plugs in case people want to go out to Boston?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, I do want to <laughs> start out by thanking Privateer Rum, who co-sponsored our uh, seminar last night. Um, cool. They're based in Essex County, Essex County Massachusetts. Um, incredible company, very ethically run um, the head distiller, uh, Maggie Campbell is, is, is the nicest and inadvertently most intimidating person I've ever met. Cause she's just so <laughs> goddamn smart. Um, just being around her, I'm like, uh, right. Um, so, you know, big thank you to privateer rum. They're available in New York state. Um, and they make incredible rum. Um, also to La Casa for hosting us last night and, um, awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's generally it. Thank you very much for having me as well. That was a
0: blast. So if you do end up in Boston and you want to go to a go into a door that's down near a dumpster and then down a hallway, you should go to Backbar and visit Luke. Yeah, come in see his, me at Backbar. Unless it's the week
1: of May 4th, and then it's called Akbar. Yeah. That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> so it's not a trap. It's okay. You should go there and enjoy <laughs> yourself. And next time in Boston, I'll be going to visit Luke. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So thanks a lot for coming, and uh, thanks to Joe Fee and Fee Brothers for getting Luke over here. This is uh, it was a great experience, and I'd like learning more about uh, some of our local... Rochester companies. Yeah. Sounds very cool.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time.
0: And I'll sign off before I keep on coughing in the microphone.
1: Cheers. Thanks (laughs) everyone.